Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Um, and as they're leaving, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, um, we're going to start there. Through the next several weeks, we are going to be um, preaching from our Bible reading calendar. So if you don't have one of those reading calendars, uh, you can pick them up in the back. They're just yellow, foldable little things. You can stick them into your Bible and keep them as a bookmark. Um, we'll be preaching from the New Testament portions of those readings. So our um, reading today will be from that. And if you don't want to do that, you can also get them if you have a smartphone or something like that. Project345.com is the, the reading program that we're doing. So if you go to project345.com, if you, if you are at work or something and you forgot and you're just on a break and you want to do your reading then, um, project345.com has, will have today's reading. So, um, so yeah, we'll be preaching from our New Testament portion. I encourage you to read ahead during the week, read along with us. It's just Monday through Friday. So if you get, if you miss a day or two, you have Saturday and Sunday to get caught up. Um, Today I want to talk about posture. And you all kind of do what I do when someone starts talking about postures. You sit up a little bit and you straighten your back. Um, I, I have pretty bad posture. I think it runs in my family. Um, but uh, normally, so, you know, I'm sitting and I'm sitting at my desk during the week and, you know, you're hunched over your computer and you're not really thinking about it. And then as soon as somebody says something about um, posture, you you know, even if they're not talking to you, you you naturally just sort of straighten up a little bit. and Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to, not supposed to slouch. Um, but that's just sort of what I've always done. You know, when we were kids, even at dinner table, my parents would have to tell us, don't slouch. You know, it's, it's just what I've always done. But today I want to talk about, I want to talk about posture. Um, so let's look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's talk about these two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector. First of all, uh, this sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? Like a first century joke. Two men went into the temple, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Um, I'm sure Jesus probably had a bunch of those too. Um, And the disciples were like, is this one a joke? Is it a parable? I'm not sure. Um, But uh, two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector, go up into the temple to pray. Uh, First, let's talk about the Pharisee. 
We, for centuries, have been taught that the Pharisees are the bad guys in the gospel, right? Uh, This is not true. This would not have been true for Jesus' listeners. The Pharisees were well-respected. They, I mean, these guys were, were spiritual leaders. These guys were, like, their word would, would, be, would give them, the people of Israel, direction for prayer and, and religious life and how they ought to practice. These guys were well-respected. These guys were like pastors, you know? People who you just love to listen to all the time. Uh, but but, but they, were, they were honored in the community. They were, they were given place of prominence. These, these were the good guys. These were the people that you looked to. But they weren't just spiritual leaders. They were also political leaders. Within, within the, the first century world, the people of Israel were, were controlled by the Romans. And, and the Pharisees not only gave instructions for how to live uh, spiritually in, in your relationship to God, but they, they gave instructions for how to live as, as people oppressed by the Roman Empire. What it means to be the chosen people of God and yet be under control of this foreign army. And so they were political leaders. They were spiritual leaders. They were well-respected people within, within the community. And so here's this Pharisee. He goes up and he says, I, I fast twice a week and I, and I tie the tenth of everything that I own. You're only supposed to fast once a year. On the Day of Atonement. This was the day that all of Israel was supposed to fast. So this guy is going above and beyond. Not just once a week. Twice a week he's fasting. Not just once a year. Twice a week. Every week he fasts. uh, As devotion to God. But not only that. He tithes a tenth of everything that he owns. What this means is he doesn't just tithe on the money that he earns. But then when he goes out and he buys something. He then tithes another tenth of... Of, on that purchase, just in case the person that he bought it from hadn't tithed themselves. He's going above and beyond to make sure that his devotion to God is true and right. So this is a guy, I mean, this is a guy that, that they would look at and say, yeah, I mean, this guy is, is living for God. He's, he's devoting his life to God. Of course, this man is righteous. The tax collector, on the other hand, uh, not so much. The passage that we read earlier from Matthew, uh, Jesus Jesus meets Ma- this guy Matthew, who, who ended up writing the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, he meets him at a, he's a tax collector. He becomes one of Jesus' disciples, but he's a tax collector. And he comes along. And he says, "Matthew, follow me." And he goes to his house to eat. And as Jesus is eating with tax collectors, and then the the NIV uh, puts it in quotes and sinners. Uh, these, these are the, the group that the tax collectors are, are bunched in, but they're not even classified as sinners. They're, they're a whole other breed of sinners is what these tax collectors are. Here's some things about tax collectors. They were referred to in the same context um, as murderers and thieves. Tax collectors were one of the few people um, who were not allowed to be a witness in court. <laughs> Their testimony was no good. Um, and, and they were somebody that you, you did not have to tell the truth to them. We have writings from, from uh, a little bit after the time of the New Testament, Jewish writings that, that said, you do, not, you do not have to tell the truth to tax collectors. 
So you, you are allowed to break one of the Ten Commandments when you're dealing with tax collectors. This is how bad these guys were. This is how much they were hated and disrespected in the community. Uh, and, and we have to grasp this because, because our, our culture, if we've, if we've been around the church long enough, and even, even outside of the church, the term Pharisee, uh, someone being Pharisaical, is, is thought of as a hypocrite. But this would not have been the context. This is not, would not have been how Jesus' audience would have heard this story. When Jesus begins to tell a parable about two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector, that go into the temple, their instant thought would be the hero of the story, the good guy in the story, is the Pharisee. The bad guy is the tax collector. But because we're so used to hearing about the Pharisees as bad, we instantly say, oh yeah, the Pharisee, he's the bad guy. So we have to grasp this. We have to understand what Jesus is really doing here when he, when he tells this parable. That, that the people would have thought, ah, yes, the Pharisee, he's, he is good. Um, this, would have been, this would have been shocking. This parable would have been shocking for these people. Uh, let's, let's try to put this in an analogy. I was trying to think of, of what, what would be a good analogy for us today. And it's hard to think of. But So let's think back uh, during World War II. During World War II, there was a, a pastor and a theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he worked, uh, he, he was a German theologian, he lived in Germany, but he worked uh, to fight against the Nazis uh, to the point where he was eventually put in prison and then, uh, and then executed. Uh, so the equivalent of this then would have been that Jesus tells a parable about two people who go into church to pray. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one. And the other is a secret, uh, an SS agent from the Nazis. And that, that at the end of the parable, the person who's the good guy is the Nazi. I mean, this, this would be the equivalent. It would be, it would be, say, maybe our own context. Say in the future, sometime we're conquered by, uh, Canada or, or Brazil or something. Some, let's, let's say Brazil, some place that you've never been to. Most of you maybe have never been to. Um, someplace far off that you know about, but you've never... And they come and they conquer us and we're controlled by the Brazilians and they're teaching us to play soccer and it's terrible. Um, uh, but we're, we're being controlled by them. And here you have... Um, here you have this... Maybe there's, there's a pastor or a teacher who's, who's continually teaching you to live rightly, to, to how... What does it mean to honor God uh, to, and yet be controlled by these Brazilians who are, who are enslaving our people. What does it mean to honor God? What does it mean to, to live in this world? And then you had uh, one of your fellow Ma- Americans, you had Kyle Herr here, uh, who says, to, he says, you know what, I'm going to side, I know that if I side with the, these Brazilians here, you know, they're going to help me earn some money, my family will be well off, I don't have to, my family won't have to, to be in poverty in the same way that the other families are. So I'm going to go and I'm going to collect taxes on behalf of the Brazilians. And, and we all look at Kyle and we're like, come on, man, you're, you're one of us. You're, you're, you're betraying us. And you know that Kyle here, when he comes around to collect taxes, he only has to give you, collect so much. But that he's allowed to collect as much as he wants. 
in order to, to live well and to, and to serve his family and to take care of his own family. So you know that Kyle is skimming some off the top. You're not very happy with Kyle right now, are you? This, these were tax collectors. They made their living off of extorting money from, from you. And so you, I mean, you hated these guys. When you saw the tax collector coming around, you would turn and go the other way. They were classified with murderers and thieves. And yet, Jesus tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. A Pharisee and a tax collector. So let's look, let's look again at this parable. The Pharisee prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. So our question here is why, why is the Pharisee condemned and the tax collector commended? What is it about what they do that, that leaves the Pharisee declared unrighteous while the tax collector is righteous? Oh, well, it's pretty simple, actually, because uh, in Jesus doesn't do this very often, but this is one of the few parables where Jesus tells us right at the beginning, or actually Luke tells us right at the beginning, what the point of this parable is. Lots of times we're left to sort of figure it out on our own. But we're told right here, verse 9, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So this is it. The Pharisee is confident of his own righteousness And he looks down on the tax collector. And this is why Jesus tells this parable. This is what he's getting at. This is what he's trying to address. That the confidence in your own righteousness uh, and your disdain for everybody else. Jesus tells uh, this parable. And here's what what is really going on here. The Pharisee is doing right. I mean, he's, he's going above and beyond in his devotion to God. It's not, God does not have a problem with, with what the Pharisee is doing in his daily, in his daily life, in the ways that he is uh, committing himself, fasting regularly, tithing even above and beyond. We're, we're not told that God says, oh man, I really wish he wouldn't do that much for me. I don't need that much. Just back it off a little bit. This isn't, this isn't why the man is unjustified. Instead, it's because of his attitude towards the people around you. God, I thank you that I am not like these evildoers and robbers or even this tax collector over there. He stands at a distance, separating himself. It's, it's interesting in this parable. Um, the Greek sort of gives us this idea that, that both men are standing at a distance. So you have the Pharisee standing at a distance over here uh, because he wants to separate himself from all the sinners and evildoers and tax collectors. He sets himself apart because he knows he doesn't want, he doesn't want to uh, taint himself with their uncleanliness. And then you have our tax collector standing at a distance, not even able to look up to heaven because of the guilt 
and the shame that he feels. He says, he, he, he beats his breast, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What's the difference? It's their posture. It's the way that they've come before God. It's the way that they interact with God. And I think what we really learned from this parable is we learn, about, we learn something about God in this, don't we? We learn about the things that God really values in us. The things that God really looks for. Where is heart, what his heart is looking for. Is he looking for us to do all the right things, to accomplish all the right things, and yet have hearts that are turned off and separate from the people around us? And, and, and put ourselves up as better than all the people around us? Or is he looking for a heart that throws itself upon his mercy? That recognizes its need for a savior? The Pharisee Pharisee doesn't need a savior. He's already done it himself. He's confident in who he is before God. He says, God, look, look at how great I am. Aren't you, aren't you pleased? Isn't, don't, don't you need me? He, he's confident as he comes before the Lord. Knowing that he's done everything he could to please God. And so he doesn't need a savior. He's his own savior. And the tax collector, is very much aware that he needs a savior. Very much aware of his sin. He says, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. He's very much aware of his own sins. And I think this tells us about, about what God values, what God is looking for. Is he looking for people who get it right all the time, who have all the answers? He's okay if that's true, but where is our heart with, with that? I mean, if, if we live rightly, God isn't disappointed with that, obviously. But where is our heart within that? Are we doing it uh, out of love for God? Or are we doing it to make ourselves feel good about ourselves and to hold ourselves up? Do we, do we recognize our sin before God? Do we recognize that He is the one who saves not ourselves. That we're not earning it. We're not working for it. But here's something, here's something to think about. What if the tax collector goes home and somehow we're not told, we're not told in the parable that, that either man knows that God looked upon one favorably or the other not. But what if somehow the tax collector figures this out? What if he's told, yeah, that's, that's what God looks for is, is someone who's going to come before him humbly. 
And the next time the tax collector comes to the temple to pray, he comes there and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, 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 and also, thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee who's relying so much on his own ability to save himself. Thank you that I'm not like him, that, that I have figured it out. Uh, what, do you think, what do you think our results are going to be here if Jesus were telling the, the chapter 2 to this parable? Uh, this man probably isn't righteous either now. He's comparing himself. He's, saying, he's, he's now doing the exact same thing that the Pharisee did. He's setting himself up against other people. And this, this is really the heart, I think, of the parable. That we, it, it strikes at our human nature to compare ourselves to one another, doesn't it? We want to look at our own lives, our own spirituality, and compare it, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I don't do that. I mean, did, did you hear what this, she, she did? We, we set ourselves up against each other. And we, and we compare our relationship with God to the relationship that other people have. And Jesus says, this is not, this is not how you should act. To be confident in your own righteousness and look down on everybody else. And it's, it's our tendency, it's our desire, it's our human nature to hold on to that thing that sets us up against the people around us. And Jesus says, this is not it. This is not what you are to do. And so... Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, uh, people who get paid a lot of money to, to study these sorts of things, or maybe they don't get paid a lot of money, I don't know. But people, people whose lives uh, are devoted to studying these sorts of things and theologians who write articles and, and commentaries and things like that have, have this discussion. There's this, there's this debate on what is Paul saying here? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And that the trustworthy saying is, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and then Paul adds on to the saying, I am the worst of sinners. And then others say, no, the the whole saying, the the saying that we should all say and, and latch on to is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And that each one of us can say of whom I am the worst. And I like this second reading better. I think this second reading fits with our parable. That we could all say Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 
unleashed. Because we know, we know our sins, don't we? Maybe we we don't want to hear them. We don't want to listen to them. um, We don't want to accept them. But if we're truly honest, we know our sins better than we know the sins of anyone else. We know what happens in our thoughts. We know the ways that we hold grudges We know the way that we act spitefully towards others. We know that we are the worst of sinners. And the trustworthy saying is this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That this is true. This is what the gospel is about. That you, a sinner, Christ Jesus came to save you. The, the passage we read from Matthew earlier. Jesus says this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And the challenge for us, and this is what the tax collector knew within himself, knew within his own sin, that he was a sinner needing a savior. And this is what we all need to know within ourselves. This is what we all need to recognize. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And as we recognize this, as we accept this, as we receive this, this isn't then an opportunity to think, great, now I've received that salvation. Look how great I am now. But it's to constantly throw ourselves before the Lord, asking For him to be our savior. To rely on him as our savior daily, daily, daily. That he is the one who is working in our lives. He is the one who saves us. It's not because of anything we've done. God didn't look at me and say, oh, Gary, he's going to turn out okay. I'll I'll save him. It's not because of anything special about you that God saved you. It's because of his love. It's because of his grace. And our tendency is at some point to look at our lives and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as this guy. So yeah, God must be probably pretty pleased with me right now. At least I'm not a Pharisee. But in saying that, don't we become the Pharisee? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I think we, I mean, we understand this parable. But so often we want to believe the opposite. We want to believe that there's something that we can do to earn it. But there's not. Let's close with this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is what Paul says. You are saved by grace. And this grace comes to you through faith. But this faith is not something that you've done on your own. That you've somehow earned enough faith to be saved. To earn God's grace. This faith is a gift of God. This faith is a gift of God. So that none of us, none of us, none of us can boast. None of us have reason to be, to be prideful. And so the posture, the posture of the tax collector ought to be our posture before God. Humility, not pride. Because we've done nothing to earn it. We've done nothing to deserve it. And as we interact with our world, we are not better than non-Christians. There's nothing about us in and of ourselves that we do that makes us better than, than people who, who don't believe. It's only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. And it's through that grace that we then move into our world with grace as ambassadors of this message of reconciliation. Not setting ourselves up above them and against them saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like these unbelievers. But that we come before the Lord recognizing our need for the Savior. And that it's only through his love that we are what we are. Let's pray. God, I thank you um, for this message. I thank you for this parable. Uh, it's such a reminder that I know that I need to remember that you and you alone are the one who saves. That we are desperately in need of your grace. God, remind me this week that as I come before you to do so with humility, not pride, that my posture will always be one of humility. Pray this in your name. Amen. Close today, I want to encourage you. If you are here and you have never once prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Never once ask for forgiveness. I ask you to do that this morning. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. May you know that he came into the world to save you. That, that the cross that we have behind us is a symbol of the empty cross and the empty tomb that brings new life to all who seek. May the grace and peace of our God be with you this morning.